Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Haley Mills is the author of Forever Young, a memoir. Haley began her acting career as a child at age 12 and was soon hailed as a rising star, winning the Academy Juvenile Award as one of only 12 actors to ever be bestowed with this honor, the BAFTA Award for Most Promising Newcomer, and the Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year. Her six-picture deal with Walt Disney made her an international star and included her dual role as the twins Sharon and Susan in The Parent Trap, which, by the way, I watched like a thousand times growing up. For her success with Disney, she received the Disney Legend Award. Haley's role in Whistle Down the Wind, a 1961 adaptation of the novel written by her mother, Mary Haley Bell, secured her a nomination for the BAFTA Award for Best British Actress. She has continued to make films and TV drama, among them The Flame Trees of Thicca, and featured as Miss Bliss in Saved by the Bell, and as Caroline in Wild at Heart on ITV. She lives in southwest London. Welcome, Haley. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful new memoir. Congratulations, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Well, it is a great pleasure for me to be here, and and thank you very much. Yes, this is quite a departure. (laughs) 
for me <laughs> to, to have done something like this. And I did have my son in the background who was very helpful, my son Crispian, who is a screenwriter. So he was very much my kind of guide. And he helped me enormously with the structure of the book. And I, tr- I attempted to, to write some sort of memoir so many, so many times, I can't tell you. And invariably, it I just wandered off into the labyrinth <laughs> or the swamp of my life. Um, so to have somebody who was helping me keep on track, you know, and follow the narrative. And I discovered that there was a narrative and I'd always maintained that our lives were so random that there wasn't a narrative, but but there actually is. I mean, it, to a certain extent, it's kind of self-imposed, but once I got a sense of that, then it was much easier to stay on the, you know, straight and narrow. A beginning, a middle and an end for every chapter, that was a revelation. I didn't realize that that had to be, you know. <laughs> Well, you, could, you couldn't tell. I mean, it, it seemed to sort of seamlessly work, which is great. And you wrote in the beginning of the book that one of the impetuses for writing it was discovering this treasure trove that had been saved at Disney. Tell me about stumbling upon all of that. That was such a great moment. I can't, I can't tell you. When I went to Disney Studios and I was, I was taken to lunch by this lovely man, Howard Green, who's in charge of a lot of different departments there. And afterwards, he said, you must come and see Disney's office that we have completely put back together again. And this is like 60 years ago. And when, when Walt Disney walked out of that office to go to the hospital and never came back, they, for a long time, they just left it as it was and nothing was touched. And then it was all packed up. They photographed it, you know, minutely. It was packed in boxes and stored away for, you know, 55, 60 years. And then this wonderful girl, Rebecca Klein, had the idea to reinstate it and as I say in the book, and I never thought I would hear myself saying those words, (laughs) as they did in the film Saving Mr. Banks, only this time it was all his real things, his, his, his private possessions. To walk into that office, it really, it was like a time warp. How much we often long to be able to go back in time and pick up that time and see those people. And experience the world as it was when they were alive. That's what I got walking into that office. It was exactly how he had been there, how it was when he was there. And even little scribbled notes on his notepaper, on the notepad, and funny little, you know, little paper clips and things in ashtrays. And he had a little tiny kitchenette, which of course, when I was a child, I absolutely adored with little stools and small cupboards behind. And they had got in the cupboards, 1960s food, cereals, Coca-Cola, all the things that you would expect to find in the kitchen in the 1960s. It was, I mean, I'm actually getting goose pimples now (laughs) thinking about it. And then I was allowed to go into the archives and look through all the files and folders of things to do with my movies. And I was astonished that every single thing had been kept, every little tiny scrap of paper 
the office memos, letters between uh, myself and Walt and Walt and my parents. And some of my letters had to be typed out because my writing was so awful. Nobody could understand. <laughs> Nobody could read it. And, and I, I learned some things going through those files. And I thought, my God, you know, this is, in a way, it's wrong that I keep all this information to myself. Obviously, I'd go home and I'd tell my family. But it might, I thought it, it's it's wrong. I really have got to write it down. I have no confidence in myself as a writer, although I've always wanted to write. And I've always written privately, you know, journals and things like that, but not for anybody to look at. And at lunch, there were some lovely people there, just a, you know, a couple of people that I knew, like Richard Sherman, who was one of the Sherman brothers and his wife, Elizabeth. And Richard is now, well, then he was in his late 80s, I believe he's 90 now, and still playing the piano and still going strong. And Michael Giamo and, and Chris Buck, who are two of the creators of Frozen, two lovely men. And at one point, Michael turned to me and he said, so what was Walt Disney like? And it all went quiet at the table. And I suddenly realized that the table was full of people who worked for Disney. And Besides two other people, I was the only one who knew him, who had even met him. And I knew him very, very well and loved him. And that's when I thought, my goodness, this, I can't die. I can't take all this with me. I've got to do it. So I went back to my, I went home and, and I said, I've got to do this. And, and my son said, you've got to write it now. And I said, but I, can't I I'm not a writer I don't I, I wouldn't know how to start and he said I will help you and he did oh. and uh, so he was my kind of life raft you know as I was just about to float off into the sunset he hauled me back in so I'm really glad I've done it really I think I've done it for myself but I've done it for my children and my grandchildren and also all the other children because what I realized and I'm I've, I'm afraid I've I suddenly seem to have verbal diarrhea. But <laughs> this is great. Keep going. It's fine. You're a very good listener. But but I realized that when I was writing it, that it's actually, it's really not so unusual. All right, my childhood was rather weird and that was unusual. But the things that I went through, you know, as a result of adolescence, everybody goes through to different degrees. And so some of it was exacerbated because, you know, I was famous and all that business. And I had to turn up at the studio and be photographed when I was fat, covered in spots, <laughs> you know, all that kind of thing. And so I felt actually more and more as I as I wrote it, that it was a very kind of universal experience, which is really why I stopped it when I did which is when my children were born. But you've got four children, is that right? I do. I have four children and it would be so neat. I was thinking as you were talking for my son, one of my sons to, or my daughters to collaborate on a book project with me when I was you know, older. I mean, that must be such a neat experience for the two of you to have together as like a shared project. That's so nice. Yes, you're absolutely right. And you know, Crispian is, you know, he's in his 40s and he's married and he's got two boys, two fantastic boys. And so to reconnect with him at this stage in his life and for the two of us to go back to my childhood, which, of course, 
affect him too, because what happened to me impacted him and my other son, Ace. And that was really one of the best things about it was spending this time. Sometimes it was just over the phone because we were locked down. But, you know, that was definitely one of the best things of spending this time with Crispian and getting to know him again, really, and on a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I actually couldn't believe when you got to the end of the book and well, close to the end. And you were like, at that point I was 28 years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, all this happened before she was 28. Like I couldn't believe how much has happened, had happened to you starting. I mean, obviously you started acting and accidentally after, you know, that you were playing outside and kind of got discovered because of your dad's involvement, but just the wealth of experience packed into so many years. And I don't know, I'm, I'm glad that you did this. And you're, you know, one of the things that I feel like was really strong in this book was how you created these scenes and sense of place. Like the way you were talking now about Walt Disney's, you know, studios sort of frozen in time and even how you met him in the Dorchester penthouse. And in the book, you're like, you can Google this. And I was like, okay, I will. And of course it's gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, I've got to find a way to stay here. This is like amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. Get somebody else to pay the bill. Yeah, exactly. I can't, yeah. Expensive, (laughs) you know, I don't know. (laughs) My podcast network or something. (laughs) Yeah. No, but you create all these scenes so we can really like see you in it and see like you take the reader right there. So I don't know, you, Crispin, or whoever, you did a really nice job of sort of inserting us into these very unique moments, whether you're dating George Harrison or you're like, you know, going, uh, even school and your sister. Anyway, it was all great. And there's this quote, if if you're welcome, from the beginning that I just wanted to read because you are really are a beautiful writer. You say, to say I went through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole would be putting it mildly. At the age of 12, my life was tipped on its head and I was plunged literally into Wonderland, often feeling very much like Lewis Carroll's bewildered Alice. Perhaps that's just how it is to grow up. One minute you're free and innocent, full of the joys of life, and then suddenly you're struggling to make sense of anything. I had some amazing luck and good fortune, but it all came at a price. The sole purpose of every young girl should be to become a happy, strong, and well-adjusted woman. But growing up is tough at the best of times, let alone when a multi-million dollar career depends on you remaining a child. Writing about it 60 years on, I wonder whether this book is perhaps my first real chance to understand and take ownership of the strange and remarkable things that happened to me and to that girl, young girl, who went through the looking glass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Bravo. Right? That sounds great. Very well (laughs) (laughs) So looking back, I mean, obviously your childhood was shifted very dramatically, you know, when you were 13 or 12, 12, 13, 14, when you were then raising your sons, how did you approach that time of life knowing like what you had gone through yourself? Well, of course it was a very different world. And by the time they were in their teens and they were very different people. And of course, Unfortunately, they went to boarding school, as I did, but I was, I was uh, pol- asked politely or not so politely to leave. <laughs> and, you know, boys going through adolescence, it happens to them in a ra- rather different way. And they were, Crispian was very independent right from the very beginning and wanted to go to boarding school. And... I didn't want them to go to boarding school. I didn't want either of them to go to boarding school. But I remember he said to me one day, he was 10, he said, I really, you know, he he, he read too many, you know, Tom Brown school days kind of books. And he said, I, he said, I really, I want to go to boarding school, mommy. And I said, but darling, you know, it, it's, it's, he said, it'll be such fun and, you know, with boys, you know, there's fun in the dorm and all that kind of thing. And I said, but, you know, you don't have that much freedom. He said, Mommy, he said, I just want to go because it's all out there, Mommy. And he flung his arms wide. And so he was always very adventurous and he always wanted to, you know, climb every mountain. And he, he wanted to go his own way. I mean, your question was, how did I deal with it? I don't know. I don't know if I dealt with it. Well or not. I mean, often not. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's such a trial and error, isn't it? Yes. Uh, being a mother. And this is one of the things about being a grandmother is that I think I'm a much better grandmother than I was a mother. It's, you know, you can, you sort of rediscover your children again through your grandchildren. Wow. Well, I guess I'll that to look forward to if I ever get, oh, if I ever get, if I ever get these guys. Out of this. How, old are you? How old are your children? I have 14 year old twins, boy, girl, and then eight and six. And actually my oldest son is at boarding school. Also, he begged to go and I was like devastated, but it's really great for him. So I relate to what you were saying. And of course, being a twin, he, he wanted that identity. He wanted to be himself, not just one of a pair of twins. How did it affect his sister. Oh, she was thrilled. <laughs> oh. Right. So maybe that was really healthy for them to, you know, lead their own lives at that point. I think you're right. I think you're right. 
Yeah. By the way, they're all huge fans of The Parent Trap, and which I've watched like 18 million times. Original. Oh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things in your book that I kind of, I felt like you were trying to come to terms with your own mother and her sort of unhappiness at different times and her dependence on alcohol at different times and sort of looking back and thinking like, wait, was she an alcoholic? You know, this is what I just thought everybody did. They played tennis and drank and, you know, had cocktails every night. But, you know, you kind of touch on the many times sort of throughout your career and your guys's life together of of her sort of melancholy and how she was dealing with everything and how do you think about all of that now well i understand her a lot more as a result of writing this book and you know and and that was one of the one of my motivations was to go back and have another look at it and try to understand more about her more about my dad or about myself, my sister, my brother, and why we made certain decisions. And, you know, I hate to keep repeating myself, but I realized that, you know, that my mother was struggling with the effect of her childhood all her life. And our childhood never really leaves us, just as, because it is, it, it, it is the formative years, you know, Catholics, what, what do the Catholics say? They say, give me a child until the age of seven and he'll never go back to another life. I don't know if that's still true, but it certainly was at one point. And, you know, it, it, it forms us. Our experiences when we're growing up are tremendously formative. And so she was definitely struggling with the effects of being sent off to boarding school when her family were living in China and she was sent back to England and she didn't see them for long, long periods of time. And she was a highly, you know, very intelligent and also extremely sensitive, you know, uh, with this kind of melancholy, which was probably there anyway. But I think there was, it left her with a deep sense of insecurity and and her ambitions had been somewhat thwarted because initially she desperately wanted to be an actress and she was a good actress. She began to do better and better, uh, get better and better roles until she went to New York with a British production. And she was approached by Warner Brothers who wanted to put her under contract. They said that for, for that to happen, she would have to agree to have her, her nose operated on. And she didn't want to do that. And it was wartime. And she'd already sailed across the Atlantic with a convoy of destroyers, expecting to be torpedoed any minute. Then the play was a flop. And she, to her surprise, was absolutely delighted. And it meant that she could go home <laughs> in convoy across the Atlantic. And she decided then what's important. She realized what was important. And what was important, my career. Yes, I could go off to Hollywood and become an actress, and, you know, maybe, who knows. Or I can go back to be with a man I love. And he was the love of her life. There's no doubt about it. And you know, she totally and absolutely adored her father. Uh, but then when she met daddy, she transferred all that to my dad. And then she had to see her father, who she hero worshipped, who was a writer as well as being a soldier. 
you know, experienced failure and poverty and bankruptcy at the end of his life. And, and he died ignominiously. He died with a sense of personal failure. And that, heart, that, that was unbearable for her. And so she thought that she had that fear all her life of that she was going to be a failure. And she always felt deep down that she was a failure even though she had an incredibly successful marriage, a man who loved her with all his heart until the day he died, age 97. And she had a number of very successful plays. She wrote a number of books, one of which was turned into a film, which I did, which became a very successful, iconic film called Whistle Down the Wind. And still, she wasn't convinced about her own success and desperately wanted I think the theatre really was her first love and she wanted to do another play and did write many plays for my dad but was never able to come up with a successful play as she had done in the beginning wow you know so her insecurity and you know that was an enormous motivating thing and that's why she drank and when my father wasn't there, when I was alone in Hollywood with her, she didn't handle being on her own well. And, you know, it's an extraordinary thing. It, was, it wasn't until I was an adult, and I mean in my 30s, that I realised how genuinely insecure and nervous she was. We were doing a television programme called This Is Your Life, and she was brought on. It was my for my sisters. She was the victim of This Is Your Life, the program. And my mother was waiting in the wings and she was wringing her hands. And I'd always thought my mother was chilled. She'd got it all together. All right, she drank. But I thought she was perfect and in charge. And she wasn't. She says she hid it. Wow. So that's a very, very long answer, which you're going to have to edit. No, it was great. <laughs> I know. I wish we had like so much more time. I had like a thousand questions for you. So if you could give advice to aspiring creatives, right? Either people trying to write a book like you just did successfully or people aspiring to be actresses or, you know, another area in which you've excelled, like what advice would you give them? How would you motivate them or, or dissuade them from doing the above? <laughs> or give them a sense of their of empowerment. As I mentioned, I mean, the acting thing kind of fell into my lap. I didn't pursue it. Right. And then what was difficult for me was to maintain it. And eventually as I grew up, became self-conscious through adolescence, I questioned it. And then it became agony. It was very difficult to, to work when I was doubting myself all the time. And that's when I had to go and look at it from a different perspective. And that's when I went into the theatre because I could learn. And I think whatever it is you want to do, the more you can learn about it, the more that empowers you, the more you understand what it is you want to do. I've written this book, but... I'd been thinking about writing for years and I was always buying little books saying how to write your memoir, <laughs> you know, and I'd start, I'd do all the exercises and think, oh God, you know, yeah. the point is I didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to write. I just loved writing. And then I had this marvelous, marvelous woman who was a nutritionist 
I went to talk to her about nutrition. And it turned out that she was also a therapist. So nutrition and therapy, you know, our diets and everything and all kind of, you know, one and the same in a way. And so I started to talk to her about problems and things and things that I needed to understand about myself. And she said, well, you know what you ought to do? You ought to buy this wonderful book, which I know you know, called The Artist's Way. Yes. Julie Cameron? Julie Cameron. Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron. Uh, I started reading this book and it was... It was like eating a feast. It was so wonderful. And the best thing about it was this simple, simple trick of writing your morning pages. Every day you write three pages. And what it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be well written. It doesn't, you're not going to show it to anybody. You'll probably won't even read it yourself. You just write. And I've done it for years. And, and I'm sure that that was, that kind of encouraged me because to, to, to write, because when I was doing those morning pages, because I wasn't self-conscious about choosing the right word and that sentence looks like, you know, I was just getting it out. It opened a valve. It sort of created the facility for getting my thoughts down on paper. And the best experiences of writing that book was when my thoughts just came and I wasn't assessing it all the time or judging it. You know, it was just, even if I didn't use it or I changed it, I had a sense that this was authentic. So that, I think, is tremendously important, you know. And as far as acting, God, there is so much luck involved with acting. There are so many incredible actors out there that have never had the luck to get put together with the perfect part for them that they can flower and and, and blossom into. Every single play or film or television show that I do, I'm always humbled by the talent. And, you know, some of them just go on You know, some make it, some don't make it. But the important thing is that you have to really love it very, very much because it's a terribly hard, heartbreaking life in so many ways. And unless you're terribly lucky, you're not going to get rich because unless you're top of the pile, very few people up there, very few people stay up there. So you really, really have to love it and suffer for your art. (laughs) Well, Haley, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I've really been a fan of yours and I truly enjoyed your book. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. I've really, really enjoyed it. Great. Take care. Okay. Good luck with you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.